0: Alright guys, today we're on 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, this is the last chapter in this short little epistle, but I think you'll agree it's a loaded letter, um, chapter 1 and 2, were are really dynamic and packed, chapter 3 is a uh, quite the ending, a pyrotechnic ending, um, you'll see what I mean in a second. Um, so let's just back up again, 2 Peter 3, the context is heresy, Apostasy decline, um, we know this as a big point of the book because um, one of the last verses in this chapter, verse seventeen says, Be on guard, lest being carried away by the error of the lawless you fall from your own steadfastness. so Peter's really burdened that his um, his Christian audience wouldn't be carried away by error and be uh, and, and be drawn away from the steadfastness of their faith. And specifically in 2 Peter chapter 3, he's going to address a group of people that he calls mockers. So these were um, culture cultured despisers and modern skeptics, um, and they were motivated by their sinful lifestyles. That's what he's going to talk about in verse uh, 4. We'll get to that in a second. 3 and 4. But um, this is, this is uh, something we can all relate to, the mocking of a secular culture, an atheistic culture. Uh, you know, religion is the opiate of the people. Um, religion is just wish fulfillment. Christians are superstitious. We believe fairy tales. We're anti-science. Uh, the Bible is culturally repressive. So Christianity is the target of much uh, mocking, and it's the same in Peter's um, culture back then. And when we look at this chapter, we're going to see that what we're really looking at is a battle of words. Um, two different voices want to be heard and um, listened to and obeyed and followed. And the danger for us is that uh, the, the cultural noise and, and the other, you know, the talking heads and the, um, the newsrooms and the, the uh, cultural shapers and the influencers their message, their words can drown out God's word. And so the question for us is, who are we listening to? And we know this because in verse 2, Peter says, remember the words, remember the words spoken by the Lord. Um, And so Christ and culture are making contradictory promises. Look at this in 3.13, we've got the promise of his coming. Of course, that's also in verse 4, the promise of his coming uh, with with uh, the judgment on evil and its destructiveness and the creation of a new realm of righteousness. That's awesome. That's Christ's promise. That's the promise Christ makes. But back in 219, we had uh, the promise of a defiling culture that promises, um, basically saying, if you follow us, you can have the freedom of unrestricted pleasure. If you listen to us, that's what we promise you. So there's a battle of words, Contradictory promises being made, and the question is, you know, with us right at the nexus of these promises and messages and you know carrots out there dangling before us, which one will we follow and go for? So let's break this chapter down with three simple points and of three questions. First, in verse four, uh, from the mockers, where is the promise of his coming? And then, and then in verse nine, the implied question is, okay. Why does the Lord delay his coming? And then in verse um, verse 11 and 12, how should we live? So where's the promise of his coming? Why does he delay? And how should we live? Okay, let's take these one at a time. First off, the specific issue in chapter three is a group of mockers saying, Christ has promised that he's coming. And where is it? He's not delivering on his promise. He's not here. And they're making the claim that Verse four says, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue in the same way since the beginning of creation. So their claim is that essentially um, the universe is a closed system. It's a closed system and there are no divine interventions. There's no divine uh, intrusions. God doesn't intervene in history and bring in radical change. So this is a very common claim today, too, that you know, nature is just uh, operating according to its invariable laws. We live in a steady-state universe, was believed at a certain time. Um, but just the laws of nature just unfold. There's no divine hand that reaches into history and shakes things up. And Peter counters that. Peter counters that with you know, the two historical examples of creation and the flood. That's in verse um, 5 and 6. And then the promise of a third coming radical change of the second coming. The second coming will produce a radical change. And it's interesting because all of these center on the earth. He says the earth was compacted out of of water in verse 5. The earth and the world was flooded and we're expecting a new earth. So the earth is the center of divinely wrought change because it is the focus of God's purpose. Okay? So God is very interested in the history on earth because that's where he is carrying out his purpose with his people. And all of these changes are brought about by God's word. God's word is powerful. Um, and his promises are concrete, guaranteed words that will powerfully come to fruition. So we can have faith in it. We can put our trust in it. We can hope in it. Even if we don't see a present fulfillment of a promise, we know that the nature of God's word is to always eventually come into powerful uh, fruition, of whatever God has said. And the implication for us in this first point is, you know, with the where is the promise of his coming, is that history has a direction and a destination. History is going somewhere, history will consummate, it won't just go on indefinitely. And it won't just end, it will consummate. And that consummation will be the culmination of a, uh, a, proce- a process that will reach fulfillment, and the consummation will be accompanied by the return of a king, a lord, and a savior. So we can have faith in the Lord's promise, uh, even when we don't see its fulfillment, because the Lord is faithful, and he will deliver on his promises. And history is going towards the consummation of God's promises. Okay, so then the question is, though, why then does he delay? And that's in verse 9. The Lord does not delay regarding the promise, as some count delay, but is long suffering toward you, not intending that any perish, but all advance to repentance. So Peter in this verse is basically saying, you're thinking about this totally the wrong way. It's not delay. The Lord's not just late on his his, uh, schedule, and he doesn't have an arbitrary timetable that he's just waiting around till a clock ticks ticks down to zero. The Lord's not focused on the timing, per se, of the fulfillment of his promise. He is focused on his people and their spiritual condition in relation to the fulfillment of that promise. And so a big word in this verse is not intending. So, that word intending points to the divine intention. And it's related to salvation, as we see in um, verse uh, 15 count the long suffering of our Lord to be salvation. And it's also related to repentance in this verse, verse 9. So, the divine intention related to apparent delay of fulfilled promises is God wants his people to advance. And their experience of His salvation. So, what we think of as of, of as delay is actually God's gracious prolonging our opportunity to rightly respond to His promises and align our life to it. He's not delaying; He's long suffering, and that is uh, out of the goodness of His heart and His love for us, and wanting to see us advance uh, in His. Salvation and in our experience of that salvation. Okay, lastly, this is already uh, dovetailing into our third point. How should we live? So this brings us to verse 11 and 12. And how how should we live? Uh, Peter says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's been talking about the universe is going to go up with a roar and be dissolved and burn with intense heat. This is the cataclysmic pyrotechnic ending that I was alluding to. Peter says, since all these things are true, how should we live? What, what should that indicate about our manner of life? And the point he's making here is, if the world will experience such a radical and total transformation, we should experience a similar one today. In fact, it's the transformation of God's people that will bring in the transformation of the world. And he says that in verse 12. How should we live? we should expect the lord's coming but we should also hasten that coming how do we hasten it this is a really big concept that we play a role in the timing of the lord's second coming based on our spiritual experience and our corresponding to god's intention and our cooperating with it so how do we hasten it holiness hastens that's the connection of verse 11 to 12 we should live in a holy manner of life and godliness when we experience Christ and grow and mature in his expression, which looks like holiness and godliness, um, that spiritual maturity hastens his coming because that is the fulfillment of his purpose. Okay? So we hasten the Lord's coming by cooperating with his purpose. And we don't do this on our own power, but the power that's inherent in his promises. So this goes all the way back to chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Where Peter said, God's divine power has granted to us all things which relate to life and godliness. That's that same godliness here in verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. Where does the power for godliness come from? It comes from the promises. And then in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, It's through these precious and exceedingly great promises that we can partake of the divine nature And God's divine nature is holiness. Okay, so then last point here is that corresponding with God's purpose will bring in the new heaven and new earth, verse 13, in which righteousness dwells. And how eventually do we do do all this? Let's sum it up in the very last verse, verse 18. Peter's last charge to us is, but grow, but grow in grace. So how do we live? How do we cooperate? We cooperate by giving ourselves to grow into the experience of God's grace that will radically transform us. And when God achieves that purpose in his people, he will step back into time and history, physically, visibly, manifestly, fulfill the promises that he made to us about his second coming, bring in a new heaven and a new earth, eliminate all unrighteousness and ungodliness, dwell with us together in glory and righteousness and uh, loving kindness, and that will be the fulfillment, the promise of his coming, and it will be a glorious consummation that we're all going to be a part of. So praise God for Second Peter chapter 3, the faithfulness of God's promises, the power of his words, and our cooperation with his grace to correspond to that.